It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening, everybody? On today's show, some more takeaways from day one from SEC Media Days. You'll hear from uh, Aggie head coach Jimbo Fisher. We'll sit down with Billy Lucci of Texags to talk all about Texas A&M. And we'll also catch up with LSU defensive lineman Makai Wingo, get his thoughts on the LSU Tigers as they appear to be uh, one of the favorites in the West, according to a lot of folks. The Locked on SEC starts right now. You are Locked on SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And what's happening, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. I'm Chris Gordy. Thanks for making Locked On SEC your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, covering your team every day. All right. We need to dive back into it as we were kind of recapping uh, some of the action from day one. And one of the guys we caught up with was Texas A&M head coach Jimbo Fisher. And while we didn't get to chat with him just one-on-one, we were able to get him in a little bit of a smaller setting with some local media members and talk with Jimbo about the uh, upcoming season and some of the moves this offseason. Here was our conversation with Aggie head coach Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo, y'all had been uh, doing really well in your first three years here and, and, and really climbing and progressing. How did it get off track as you go sit back and, and kind of evaluate last year? We just didn't execute at critical moments of games. We had injuries, we had, but that's coaching too. You got to coach around it. You got to coach your depth. You got to coach situations and be able to make critical plays at critical times. I mean, there's no excuses. You just didn't get it done. Now you got to go back and get it done. And there's no magical formula except go back, work hard, be fundamentally sound. We have talented guys. And that thing that's got me excited, we got a lot of depth now. Some of our ramifications of guys that we lost early in the season last year and didn't play. We know Bryce Foster, some of those guys. You had a lot of guys take a lot of snaps at different positions now that are coming back. Feel comfortable. Plus, you get the older guys back. And the other thing is creates a lot of depth and a lot of competition in practice. I mean, you know, you stay hungry, you do things, and you fight for the execution. You fight for the inches every day and how you execute. And the mental attitude of, you know, having the confidence in yourself to be able to do it. And now a lot of guys sometimes have been in games and not made a play or not done something or we got to coach them a different way or whatever it may be. It's not a blame on anybody. But in the, in the, it's coaching at the end of the day, and, and you got to make plays. But now you know how to do it. And I think for the experience and the leadership of our group, I think it will you know, really benefit us this year. There's a new uh, NIL law in Texas that lets the schools be a little bit more involved with the process of kind of, uh, you know, be bringing people together. Has that changed at all and how y'all uh, address NIL? Yeah, but still, it's still like the laws of incentives and all those things we ne- we've never done and we still can't do. And those, we hired a guy from, if I'm not mistaken, from Ohio State who already had that law. That's why you hire a guy who has experience in doing those things. These aren't new things that are going on in college football. They've been going on in other places in the country. And it, I mean, the thing about it is before, like if, like people talk about third parties taking advantage of kids and things of that nature, you know, you'd get into, they'd have a contract. They couldn't show us a contract of who they were doing NIL. We, I, we had no knowledge of who they did NIL deals with. They had to go through compliance, but that's not us. And guys that can at least have looked at a contract and say, hey, you just gave away 50% of your rights for the rest of your life. Is that Was that a good thing? You know what I mean? I mean, from a monitoring standpoint, I think it is. And from a consistency standpoint, anytime you can get consistency and monitoring of it, I think it's a good thing. 
Jim, how uncomfortable are you at quarterback, and how close is that competition between Max? I think it's very close, which has got me excited. But the same thing, I feel very comfortable with our guys. They've won games. They feel comfortable in games. They've played in big moments and uh, like the competition going in, really do. How is Bobby Petrino fit so far? And I mean, how, how Been is wonderful. The, the offense Bob, just progressing? We are. We feel very comfortable with what we're doing, how we're doing it. I mean, we're not going to get into schemes and schematics. I'm not going to sit there and tell you what we're going to do. Uh, but at the same time, say people don't realize he and I were friends a long time ago. We, we've, we've had a great admiration for each other and what we've done and how we've done things. And he studied us. We've studied him, things that go back and forth over years. And he's a proven guy who's proven a lot of things as a quarterback coach, as a play caller, as an offensive guy, and very pleased and had great continuity with our staff. The meetings and the staff member have been tremendous, and he's been a very good recruiter. How much does the addition of Jim Chain help that offensive room as well as an analyst? Jim been around a long time, known Jim many, many years too. Went against him, coached against him, things like that. Anytime you have ideas and the information you get off of film and video, you can, when you've got a guy who has proven that you, what you say and what he gives you the information after breaking down a film or looking at a film, the trust you have in that because of where he's been and what he's done, it saves the, the amount of time it saves, the amount of time, the valuable information, not just ideas, but verifying information. Because you can understand something, as a coach, as a college football coach, you're on a very quick timeline from Sunday to Monday to get everything ready to go by Tuesday and how you're putting a game plan in. and you got to validate information. And what, what you hate sometimes, you, you get young guys doing it, which is great. And all of a sudden, you see on Tuesday, Wednesday, wait, that's not exactly quite every time, like we said, there's a little quirk in there. You know, and just things like that, having that experience makes a huge difference on your decision making early in the week, which allows more reps and more things in your value. But, but Jim is a great football mind and a great staff member. In general, Jimbo, what, what do you need to do offensively more consistent, just in general? We got, we got to win up front. We got to be able to run the football. We got to protect the quarterback. That's number one. We got to give him space to throw the football. He has to have space. He has to have room. You can't be contested all your throws with people in your face doing things. You got to be able to do those things. You got to win the line of scrimmage. And I think the injuries and the consistency, like I said, we played a lot of guys up front, but we got a lot of guys coming back now that have played. And we, got, we think we have a very good group. I do. I think we have a really good group up front. How much did you I think, let me, let me, uh, we got, uh, you know, just doing those things. I think we got to play more consistent in the route running and how you run routes, where you got to get to, the discipline, the things you have to do, and just execute. It goes down to execution. And it's not, you don't practice it till you do it right. You practice it till you can't do it wrong. And there is a difference. There's a lot of guys can do it and you can do it sometime, but do you do it every time? That's the key. And I think that's where experience, know-how, and the ability to create habits and practice and your practice habits create that and that also is created by competition that if you're not doing it right there's a guy right there that can take your job as quick as you turn around and i think that's one of the things we have because we got almost our whole two deep back in everything we did everybody was i mean at the transfer portal thing we never lost much production we never lost much depth in our two deep which is going to create great habits which i think will enhance our offense do you benefit from being under the radar nationally you're never under the radar you're in the sec you're always under yeah. the radar and then, you know, what you do and how you do it. And I, I, whether I'm under the radar or in the radar, I don't, we don't ever approach it. as a coach. You don't approach it any differently. You have pressure. You deal with pressure. You deal with the expectations. You deal with what you got to do. And you don't focus on those things. Those are outcomes. Mm -hmm. You have to focus on what you do on a daily basis to get your team ready to play and play consistently in a great league. That again, Jimbo Fisher. Coming up next, we're going to sit down with Billy Lucci of Tex-Ags and get his thoughts on the Aggies as we head into uh, a pivotal season for Jimbo and company. Locked on SEC, uh, more coming up after this. But first, I want to remind you guys, this episode is presented to you by our friends over at FanDuel. Look, you want to take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on the FanDuel app, and you can get 10 times your first bet 
amount in bonus bets. That is up to $200. That's right. Bet just 20 bucks, and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Uh, that is 200 you could spend on anything from betting the money line uh, to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. And it's all in an app that is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. You don't have to wait around for the money to show up in your account. It's in there right away. And there's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel. If you guys haven't tried it yet, you need to go check it out. It's super easy to use. You can uh, go to our website, fanduel.com slash locked on. You can download the app. And, again, sign up today. And uh, visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Get that up to $200 in bonus bets. FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, they are the official uh, partner of Major League Baseball. And again, uh, start winning today, man. It's easy. It's super easy. FanDuel is taking care of you guys with an incredible offer. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to take advantage of it. Don't wait around. This won't last very long. NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, continue on here on Locked On SEC, and uh, one of our favorite visits we get every year at Media Days is catching up with Billy Lucci head of the Tex Ags Empire. He knows and sleeps and breathes and eats everything Texas A&M. So without further ado, here was a little bit of our conversation with Billy Lucci of Tex Ags. Man, it's uh, it's crazy to think the Ags have been in the SEC a decade now. and uh, More than that. <laughs> and little brother or big brother, however you want to view them, they're coming in next year too. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's what I kept trying. Nobody wants to listen to logic and if you're not yelling and screaming or my whole point of why that first game should have been in college station wasn't about like oh AM's owed it and you know it, it had nothing to do with that to me it was just hey the Aggies are whether you realize it or not that after this year they'll have played 12 seasons in the SEC this is year 12 you know how long the Aggies were a part of the big 12 16 years. Wow. They're catching up so very quickly approaching how long they were a member of the Big 12, which is wild to think of. But you're going into, you're going to have 12 under your belt. So yeah, like it's more about not an A&M thing, but just hey, you, you're a team that's been in your league for a dozen years that made that leap of faith first. And it's not that hard when it's going to alternate anyway to put the first one in the in the home stadium that's that big of a game, to put it in the home stadium of one of your league schools, a yeah. team that's been a member for a dozen years versus a team that will be playing its first season. So that was all I – that was my whole – it wasn't a – it just seemed like the easy thing to do, and mm. it seemed like it, it was a logical, sensible thing to do. But, yeah, I mean – they're not an elder statesman, but they've been in this conference a while now. And uh, telling all my Texas, and, and I got more Texas friends than OU, but <laughs> I'm telling all of them, like, you guys have no idea what, what you're stepping into. And, and that's a good thing. I don't mean it as I've got my own thoughts. I think OU is going to have a much harder time. I think Texas is actually positioning themselves to be at a good place when they come in. Right. 
not to come in and bl blow the doors off the conference like they seem to think they're fans anyway. But <laughs> but I think they'll have a good uh, a good stable of players under Sark, and and they're going to be competitive from day one. Yeah, he um, seems to be do like it, it's almost it's funny. I compare it to Billy Napier at Florida, like disappointing year one, mm -hmm. year two. We're going to see, but he's got that recruiting class built yeah. up already for year three. So it starts to become like. You know, like this past year, it was like, well, how can we get rid of Sark? He's got Arch coming in, all these pieces. Yeah. And now suddenly, they're the favorites to win the Big 12 this year. Say this, they should be. They And, and everybody talks about the offensive guru that he is and stuff. And I'm going, man, you had two five-star receivers, the best running back in college football, five-star, five-star quarterback, five-star left tackle, five-star tight end. And I watched Washington shut you down. I watched uh, – I know Bijan didn't play in that game, but I watched – Oak State basically shut you out in the second half of a game that they lost. I watched TCU, TCU not, yeah. not let you in Couldn't the end score zone. A point, yeah. I watched Arkansas a year ago completely dismantle that. So, I, but I do like what he's doing with the talent. I think he's getting it up to competitive SEC level, which, and in some pit positions, high end SEC level. But look, AM has that. They had it last year, they went five and seven. Uh, there are teams every year that have that that go eight and four, seven and five. It's it is a, it's much much tougher than people realize. And I'm sitting here, eleven years in, and I sat on the sidelines in the Big Twelve, and I sit on the sidelines in the SEC. It's different. It's different week to week. It's different when you, Iowa State can beat Mississippi State, right? In certain years, you know. But it's a lot harder to go play at Mississippi State. It's not even worth comparing than to go play in Ames, Iowa, right. other than the grass is real long in Ames. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, people can say what they want about, uh, you know, I don't know. You go play Baylor in Waco, and Baylor's been good. But you go play Ole Miss in Oxford, it's, it's a lot tougher. And then you have to do that week after week right. after week. And the only exception is Vandy, and the only exceptions in the in the Big 12, realistically now, you know, it used to be Nebraska, it used to be A&M. Mm -hmm. Now it's Texas, Austin for a big game, right. and OU, Norman. That's it in the SEC. And, and if you're Texas or OU, you're not even playing in, in either of those venues ever because yeah. you're doing it in Dallas, which is, you know, one of the toughest, but split 50-50. That's the biggest difference you see. And, and the other big difference, and I'm joking with all our friends in the media from, that cover Texas, this SEC media days is different than what you get in the Big 12. You oh, yeah. walk in and you realize, okay, this is a different Well, how about the announcement? They're taking it to Dallas. I mean, literally just like a middle finger to the Big 12. <laughs> we're coming on your turf. We're taking your two you know, best yeah. schools. And, uh, yeah, we're going to come do media days the same place you've been doing them. For I years. don't like it. I don't like it. I like coming into the deep south for the SEC media dates. I don't – it's crazy because I'm going to save a lot of money sending my whole team right. up the road versus flights and hotel. You know, like yeah. it, it's going to save me a lot. I should like it. But I hope they don't make a too big of a habit of moving stuff to Houston and Dallas. And I've heard maybe, you know, Globe Life – for the SEC baseball tournament eventually outside of Hoover. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you. As someone who, again, would benefit from that, 
in terms of logistically. I, I'm not a fan of it, and I'm a Texas, I'm a Houston guy. I'd love to see more things in Houston, but we're in the SEC. It's the Southeastern Conference. Like right. I want things in Birmingham and Hoover and Atlanta and Nashville, and and I don't know. I just it's part of the allure. It's part of the charm of it. I think. Not I'm surprised. In I heard New Dallas. Orleans was in play a couple years ago, and it's like they skip over that. They go to Dallas. Yeah, and I get why they're doing it, but man, like. New Orleans would have been a nice stop. Like, yeah. it's just, it seems like a full extreme just because Texas and Oklahoma are coming, but I get yeah. it. Hopefully, that's just a one, one yeah, off. Yeah, one off. Year. <laughs> I love the Cotton Bowl being a part of it, and I just like the Sugar Bowl, and I love that part, but. And the timing of the playoff uh, expanding, you know, the playoff committee is stationed there in Dallas, so that helps yeah. as well. Let's talk a little bit about the Aggies here. Um, Look, I know a lot of Aggies I've talked to were, were disappointed with last year, obviously, with all the expectations, the recruiting class and all that. But how much did the win over LSU at the end of the year take some of that bad taste of the mouth, out of the mouth? Because i got to think, if they lose that game, I mean, I don't know if he's fired, but like no, it's, but it was going to be a really bad offseason. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't, it wouldn't have been fired, but it would have been a bad offseason. And they took a – it definitely – Sent you in the offseason going, wow, this quarterback just beat LSU. I know A-Chain carried the day. Yeah. Literally 38 carries worth of carrying. <laughs> but Connor Wigman just beat LSU. Uh, Moose Muhammad's back. He made all kinds of plays. Evan Stewart. Get Anias back. He's here today. Get him back from injury. You know, and like 90% of the guys that started that game are back. I think on offense – I mean, Bryce Foster was hurt, but he was a, he was your starting center that season. So he, if you count him as a returning starter, the only I think the only player to start that game that's not back was A Chain on mm-hmm. offense and defensively there was like two. So it's encouraging, it's exciting, um, but I think more than anything, it was it it it's how what that game did for the morale in the locker room and in the building for the players yep. and, and I've heard just from everyone that my insiders that are glass half negative coaches players Jimbo they all like the off season's been night and day different than the last two and I think that win and going off in the off season gave Jimbo such an easy message to send to his team and I think it did wonders for morale in the bright complex in the locker room. So I think that that's what it was a bigger deal than anything else. Are we being overly like I've seen so many people say about the Petrino hire? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is either going to be a home run hire or yeah. it's going to blow up in his face. Are we are we going too far at the deep end there? I think so. And I think look, you talk to people that in this league and in this room that really know ball, and they understand that. Bobby Petrino is not a good offensive coach. He's elite. And I've had arguments with even one of my buddies that works with us who, well, it's passed him. But no, it hasn't. <laughs> like, people are trying to judge, and, and, and a lot of my Longhorn friends on Twitter like to point out, uh, 70-something ranked offense at Missouri State. You talk to people from that St. Louis and in that area of the country that go, what he did at Missouri State was damn near a miracle how bad they were and they went to like three straight playoffs and Bobby Petrino I think was not only uh, who was I on with earlier they said they thought Petrino and Riley to Clemson were the two best 
hires of the offseason, wow. offensive coordinator. Like, I'll take Bobby Trino over Reese at Alabama right now. Yeah. I would take him over who South Carolina hired. I like who Kentucky hired, but Bobby Trino is far more proven. So the question, people, a lot of people would say, okay, fine, I agree with that. Now, how does it work with Jimbo? I don't think, and I hope Jimbo talks about it today. This was his idea. He didn't get The media didn't chide him into making a change and hiring a dedicated OC. and They didn't do that. And, and it's going to be, if they are very similar-minded offensively. We're talking about things like, how to speed up or simplify the, the verbiage or the tempo, uh, you know, how, how to play a little faster. We're talking about things like that. And then more than anything else, I think we're talking about the in-game play calling. Jimbo's going to, yeah, he's going to be heavily involved in the, you think he's sitting out an offensive staff meeting? <laughs> Not with Bobby Petrino, but also Bobby Petrino and Jim Chaney. Yeah. People forget him. He's been an OC at, at Georgia, I think, twice or twice. Georgia, Tennessee, Arkansas, Purdue under Joe Tiller. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. Of, they have added a ton of offensive expertise in the offseason. And those three, not without Jimbo, the three of them are going to sit there and game plan. Scott. James Coley's been OC at Georgia and Miami. It's a good staff now on offense. It's really good. So, But the key will be on game day when it's third and four against Auburn in September, and you're up seven with the ball with four minutes left, and if Jimbo wants to run it and Petrino wants to throw it, where does that go? Yeah. And I don't think it's going to go off the rails. I just think I'm fascinated by by that question because I think Petrino will be calling plays. But when does Jimbo step in and say, I'm the head coach? And I think that's, that's the fine line, but I don't think it's going to be dysfunction because I've seen nothing, 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 nothing to make me think that's coming. I think Bobby Petrino's really happy. Jimbo's happy to be able to do this and kind of step back a few steps and and kind of observe and coach everything and kind of take a different vantage point of his program because you can get so much in the weeds. And then Petrino, I think he's happy. He doesn't have to do any media. He doesn't have to. He's not (laughs) here. He doesn't have to do donor stuff. He doesn't have to travel, speak at events. And he's generally recruiting, you know, in-house on – who they want to get, and he's recruiting quarterback. So he's coaching offense. Jimbo's getting to take a little more hands-on across the program. But I think the biggest difference will be what it takes off of Jimbo's plate on game day. Yeah. So he can get a feel for, hey, why is our defensive line getting pushed around? I'm going to go over there and talk to Durkin, or I'm going to go fire up the O-line directly because we had two bad drives in a row. I'm gonna, you know, he'll be able to do that stuff more than just sitting there worrying about the next play. And I think that will be invaluable. Last thing for you, Connor Wegman. We saw some really good bright spots last year. I know Max Johnson, you know, he he looked decent in the spring game. I mean, how close is this, and is it just Connor's show for the year, you think? I don't think it's Connor's show for the year until he wins it, and I don't think he won it in the spring. I do think it'll be him ultimately, and I do think he's a future of the program at, the, at that position. You know, I think he's the future QB for him. Like to His ceiling is that to where he can be one of the best in this conference, if not the country. He's got to get there, though, and they've got to really 
They've got an SEC-proven veteran that's pushing him. I do think ultimately, if you made me bet on who it would be, I'd say Connor. But if folks think it's a foregone conclusion, I think they're, they're wrong, especially early in the year. But I think it'll work out that way. He's just going to ha- he, he'll have to have a good camp to beat out Max Johnson because Max had a good spring and he'll probably have a better camp. Yeah, and he's a guy who started a bunch of games in the SEC, too, so he can't oh, yeah. discount him. No doubt. He is Billy Lucci from Tex Ags. Uh, man, what an, impo- an empire you have built there with uh, <laughs> Tex Ags. We have fun. You've with come it. a long way from Thank the you. early days of just message boarding and insider a reports. print publication, <laughs> yeah. sending out emails and doing a 900 line. Yeah. <laughs> but it's been fun. I wouldn't, uh, I'm glad I got to do, I've gotten to do this 25 years. Yeah, so I do that. Nothing else. I thought you were 25 years old. You look so Thank young you. still. He is Billy Lucci. <laughs> Thanks for the time, man, as always. Thanks for seeing Again, Billy Lucci of Texags. Thank you guys so much for making Locked on SEC your first listen every day. Shout out to our everydayers. Keep checking us out. Tomorrow on the show we'll have Full coverage of day two of SEC Media Days. Coming up next, we're going to sit down with uh, LSU defensive lineman Makai Wingo. We'll get his thoughts on the upcoming season next. The NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, rolling along here, Locked On SEC, and we were able to uh, sit down with LSU defensive lineman Makai Wingo to get his thoughts on the upcoming season. Here was Makai. And roll along here from SEC Media Days. A pleasure to be joined now by an LSU Tiger who had a nice, a nice year in his uh, second year in uh, college football. Started at Missouri, had a really nice freshman year, and a really nice sophomore year at LSU. What's uh, what's going on, man? Good to have you. Thank you for having me. Just having fun. Glad to be here. <laughs> awesome. So, Makai, what was uh, what was it like going from one SEC school to another last year? Had to be had to be a little weird getting to know a whole new stadium new locker room new environment new all that i would say that the transition was smooth just based off the fact that the coaching staff was very welcoming as well as the players you know they made me feel at home from the first time i stepped on campus and to me it was a no-brainer what was it like obviously awful when mason smith goes down in the first game but i mean it almost kind of kind of like opened up a an opportunity for you to really shine on the interior of that defensive line. You don't want to see Mason go down, but did that kind of open up a little bit more opportunities for you there in the middle? Definitely. I had to take a larger role um, in regards to snap count, but you never want to see a player of that magnitude go down. But, you know, I applaud guys like B.J. Jalari and Ali Gay who kept us in, in the right mindset when he did go down. You know, they showed us what a leader is supposed to do and stepped up in that situation. And now the good news is you get Mason Smith back. What was it like? Uh, I guess, you know, I know he's still kind of limited in the spring, but, like, what uh, what's it like getting that dude back? Because that's going to make this defensive line that much more treacherous, I guess. Definitely. You know, it's great to get a player like Mason Smith back. Um, he, he's a game changer, and he can wreck a game any given day. So getting a player like that back on the field, he opens up things for a lot of other players. Obviously, we have a guy like Harold Perkins, Mason and him together. It's going to be dangerous, and they're, they're going to open things up for me alongside him on the defensive line, as well as help out corners on the outside. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about some continuity on the defense. When you look around the conference, I mean, there's a lot of teams that are working in new defensive coordinators and all that. You guys bring back Matt House 
as your DC. You bring back uh, Mike Denbrock as your OC. How much do you think that continuity is going to help where same terminology, same playbook, all of that, instead of having to learn a bunch of new stuff? I think it's going to play a very large factor in how successful we are. Guys are much more comfortable with the playbook on both sides of the ball. And just being with a coordinator for another year, it helps you guide other guys into the program easily and makes that transition for other transfers easy because you've been into the program. You know the standard. You know the plays. And it allows us to help other guys out. When you got to Mizzou from high school, what was the transition like? Because you were very good as a freshman, but was there an eye-opening moment when you're going up against some of these SEC linemen? Like, whew. I better get back in the weight room put some weight on here. Definitely. <laughs> Week two at Kentucky. That was our first SEC game. Yeah. I was coming off a, a pretty good, good game with Central Michigan the week before, but they opened my eyes and let me know that the, the speed of the game is really different, and you, you have to adjust. There's definitely something to adjust to. Yeah, I bet. Um, what is it like uh, having Matt House back in that system? What did you like about last year, and what kind of excites you for this year? Coach Charles, he's a guy that has a great game plan week in, week out, and at the halftime of games, they become even better. And, you know, guys do a great job of adjusting on the fly, and he does a great job of explaining what needs to be explained to us. And he's a coach that likes to put his players in position to win. You know, if you have anything, something that you see, he allows you to go to him and you can talk to him, and he'll put you in a position to win if you feel that you can be better right there for that week. You guys are in a great spot with, uh, you know, most teams are trying to find one talented quarterback. You've got a couple. Uh, Jaden as the starter, as Coach said today, but obviously Garrett's going to play as well. How, I mean, how exciting is that as a defense to know no matter who's out there running the offense, we got a dude. We have two great quarterbacks on that side of the ball, and even a young guy like Ricky Collins has come in and really been great and just really been paying attention to the small things and, and taking his time, and those guys, I watch how they help him. It's great to see how two guys that are competing for the same job really work well together and really push each other. We, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, some of the criticism on Jaden from last year was, you know, people wanted to see him throw more. They wanted to see him stay in the pocket. We know he can run. Can he avoid that pressure and still make the throws down the field? I don't know how much we could take out of a spring game, but it looked like we saw some improvement there. He was looking downfield, hits Kyron Lacey on what a one-handed you know, <laughs> catch, and he scores. But, like, uh, what did you see from Jaden and his growth in the spring? Absolutely. I've been watching Jaden all spring, and he's just become that much better. You know, he was already a great player last year, but his IQ and, and what he's done on the field, his comfortability in the pocket, his trust in his offensive line, just being in the system for year two it has allowed him to grow so much, and he's going to be phenomenal this year. Yeah, it's, it's just it's so interesting what, you know, the sky's the limit, it feels like, for, for him. And then the backfield. You got Josh Williams here, former walk-on, who's turned it, I mean, against Alabama. That dude was running ferociously last year. <laughs> but him, you bring in Logan Diggs. I mean, it looks like y'all got a nice little bevy of backs back there, too. Definitely. They're all great backs. And a place like LSU, you want competition in the room. You want great guys pushing great guys. So I think those guys will be great for us in the run game and will complement Jaden very well. All right, before I even ask a question about him, I'm just going to say a name. Harold Perkins, Jr. You smiled immediately. Phenomenal well, player. Great player. What's it like playing in front of that guy knowing he's behind you? It's great because no matter what you do, quarterback can escape the pocket, Perk's going to get him. 
it's no doubt. You know, he's just so explosive and so fast, and he's a sideline to sideline player. He's yeah. he's a great player. I was gonna say, have you ever seen anybody as fast as that can cover sideline to sideline, but can drop in the coverage, cover a guy, and rush the passer? I mean, he can the do first, it all. He's the first that I've played with that can do all of that. <laughs> he is great. He's a great player. What about Omar Spates? A lot, of, a lot has been made about him. What's uh, what did you see from him in the spring? Omar was great on and off the field for us. I think he's the guy that can come in this year and be a, a, a great leader for us. You know, with him being a fifth-year guy, he has that experience, and he, he has those snaps. So I think he'll be great for us on and off the field. He's a sideline-to-sideline player, and he, he's very detailed in his work. I've been watching him. A lot was made about the secondary. You lose a lot of guys to the draft and just, you know, being seniors, but you add some more pieces through the portal. Uh, anybody stand out in that secondary? I mean, look, look, we know having Greg Brooks and Major Burns back there, but what would you see from the corners? Who kind of stood out in your mind? A uh, freshman that stand out is JV and Toviano. You know, he's come in and, and really just grown day by day. And also a guy like Ja'Kalen Johnson, Zai Alexander. You know, those guys really come in and put the work in. And it, it's really starting to show. They're starting to jail. They're being great in the system. And it's really starting to show on the field. Okay, we know – Special teams was a little bit of a problem last year. Seems like, at least hearing from Coach Kelly, that those have been fixed. Is that what you kind of saw throughout the spring and into the fall? Definitely. Guys are motivated. They want to go out there and, and, and fix what we put on film last year. That's not the LSU standard, and that's not the standard of this team. And it'll definitely get fixed this year. All right. What are you most excited about uh, playing on the on that D-line? I mean, do you like, uh, at least with, with Mason in there, like you're going to draw some more singular coverage. And, that's got to make that's got to make you a happy, right? <laughs> definitely. I'm glad getting the guy Mason Caliber back on the line. He's definitely going to open things up for everyone on the field. And with me and him being players that you can plug and play in different places on the line, I think we'll be able to create a lot of mismatches for us. Last one for you. The schedule opens with Florida State, a familiar opponent, opponent y'all faced uh, out of the gates last year. I don't want to, you know, say revenge factor or anything like that, but a, a formidable opponent that you guys know well. So you're going to be ready for this one, right? Definitely we're going to be ready for Florida State because they're the first game of the season. We have to be ready. We have to come out and set the tone for the season week one. He is Makai Wingo. Uh, and uh, best of luck, man. Uh, I know you were, uh, you're just scratching the surface on what you can do, and uh, hopefully you, you have a big year, and LSU has a big year. All right, best of luck to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, that's Makai Wingo, LSU Tiger. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on SEC. Thanks so much for making us your first listen every day. Shout out to our everydayers. Again, you want to come back, be here tomorrow. We're going to be recapping day two of SEC Media Days. We're going to have plenty of great interviews with players, hopefully some coaches as well. Uh, this has been Locked on SEC. I'm Chris Gordy. You guys have an awesome day. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.